Welcome to this episode of Church Unscripted. We're so glad that you're here today. Um, We are continuing our conversation on our new series uh, entitled Worthless, just about identity, how Jesus handled his identity. We're glad that you're here with us. If you would, take a second, uh, like the channel, uh, like the video, uh, subscribe to the channel, like the channel, different different social media. Um, subscribe to the channel, uh, share this with a friend. We'd love to to get the word out. And uh, if you find this useful, we'd love for you to share it. So today we're here with uh, Pastor Eric, Pastor John, uh, talking about our series. Um, we were in John 8 this week, uh, verses 25 through 30. Um, before we I mean, I guess this is kind of part of this, but one of the things that you spent a lot of time on, not a lot of time, but a significant amount of focus on um, was the idea of emphasis mm-hmm. and how you how you read scripture determines like kind of your interpretation of it. Yeah. So as you were talking about that, I'm wondering, maybe somebody was sitting there saying, okay, yes, you studied Greek and Hebrew. You understand emphasis. Mm-hmm. How does somebody who's just reading this for what it is in the English translation, how do they find the emphasis? Because you, you said, who are you? That If you emphasize those different words, that makes a huge difference. So how does somebody find that? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And, and that's a good point because you don't need a seminary degree uh, or experience in studying Greek or Hebrew to, to be able to figure that out. I think it, it, you, you first discover it when you realize that the way you're interpreting a phrase or a, or a question isn't consistent with the tone of the rest of the conversation. So if you had read through the entire conversation Jesus is having with these people, you would realize that it's contentious in nature. So when you go to who are you, you would probably begin to ask, I, I, I thought they already knew who he was. I mean, it's not like Jesus was an enigma to them. Right. They already had experienced him. And so it can't be a question out of curiosity. It's gotta be something different. And so if you kind of tie in the overall theme of contention mm. and apply it to that one question, you could probably more easily come to the conclusion, uh, okay, this is more of like a, who do you think you are kind of question. Right. Uh, because Jesus is leveling certain claims against them that they're offended with. Yeah. And when you're offended by somebody's claims about you, uh, our immediate reaction and, uh, is who do you think you are to tell me about myself, you know, in a sense. So uh, I think that's a good, where to, a good place to start. But if there's still confusion, there are some great commentaries out there that you can have on hand as a supplement to your Bible study. And I would encourage you to find it one that makes sense to you and is mm-hmm. easy to read and just keep that close by. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and Eric, to what you just said, the reason you knew that was contentious is you looked at the whole chapter, right? Mm-hmm. You looked at the whole dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when we read scripture, we look at one verse or right. our devotion says, right. read these four verses. <laughs> and we're like, okay, so what does that mean? Yeah. What's actually being emphasized here? Yeah. So sometimes we need to read scripture in light of the chapter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. a section maybe yeah. even of a Bible. Maybe there's a few chapters. Like in a lot of Paul's epistles, like there's a whole section. Yeah. You can't just read one chapter. Mm-hmm. You got to read like three because then it starts making sense. Yeah. Um, and then you see the emphasis. And so I think I think that's hard sometimes though when you're reading the Bible to like be like, okay, so how far do I have to read? Or what do I have to read right. back to? Yeah. But everything seems to be connected. And I think that's the one thing I appreciate mm-hmm. just you don't have to know Greek. You don't have yeah. to know Hebrew. You don't yeah. have to have commentaries everywhere. You don't have to have books laid out mm-hmm. with all these different ways of looking at this passage. You can just read it mm-hmm. and go, oh, okay. 
clearly they're mad at him and clearly they're like saying, who are you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're not just saying, who are you? No. Oh, I'm curious about <laughs> that. You no. said you were Jesus. You said you were Jesus. Yeah, know. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just thought that was an important thing because I think a lot of times, like you said, we can read scripture and not understand completely what it is because we're our devotional tells us to read 25 through 30 and we're like, who are you? Okay, he's Jesus. Yeah, obviously, you know. Right. <laughs> so I think I, I just thought that was a foundational thing that you had mentioned in your sermon that um, a lot of people could benefit from. Yeah. Um, so the next thing um, that I that caught my attention was when you said Jesus was saying if you uh if you watch my life you'll recognize the fingerprints of my father and um that was like I don't know that was like a jab it felt like I was like wow if people watch my life do they see the fingerprints of the father and I guess how do we how do we live in a way that reflects the fingerprints of God well, that, that's, that's a great question, but I would say something of an impossible question in the way that you asked it. Right. So, um, so this is where my thoughts go to the fruit of the spirit. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if the nature of God is in you, if his fingerprints are on you, mm-hmm. then it's not really your responsibility to bring those characteristics mm-hmm. out. They just naturally come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can tell the people who perhaps are athletic in nature, you can sense the athleticism in the way they walk, in the way they talk. If you are talking to an artist, mm-hmm. you can sense the artistic creative nature in them just by talking to them. They don't have to brute force it. And so this is the nature of the fruit of the spirit that comes out of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, um, uh, gentleness, and self-control. I think I got all of them. In there. So, uh, and I love, think- it, Love and self-control are the, the bookends. That's what that's I- That's right. Yeah. Good idea. So, I mean, if you're talking to somebody for the very first time, it might be hard to discern that. But over the course of the relationship, yeah. you'll be able to say, okay, I see the nature of God coming out of that person. Mm-hmm. And it's just natural to yeah. them. However- um, I, I have a theory. Um, wait, wait, wait. Are you going to say, talk to Pastor John after you say this theory? I'm a little worried. No, no, I, I would never do that to them. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Okay, okay. All right. All right. I'll just mess with you. Uh, so I think I might've said this one other time on this podcast, but I, there's precedent in scripture where um, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you uh, can recognize whatever spirit is inside somebody else. And the go-to passage I refer to is when Jesus and the disciples cross the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Gerasenes, they encounter a man who the Bible says is filled with demons. Mm. And, and the Bible says that guy comes running up to Jesus and asks him, you know, what do you want with us? Mm. Um, and, and it kind of begs Jesus not to cast him out of the man, right? So it's interesting that the spirits inside the man recognized who Jesus was immediately. And um, I, I, think that, I think it's interesting when you listen to somebody talk mm. or you're engaged with that person, there's something different about their countenance mm. and their demeanor that gives you this thought, you know, I, I bet that person's a believer. Mm. Um, and I don't, know, I don't know if it's a hard, fast rule, mm-hmm. but I just think the more in tune you are with the Holy Spirit, you can see the fingerprints of God on that person's mm. life more quickly. Yeah, that's good. Do you have any input? I mean, he or, said a lot right there. No, and I, I think good. the alternative is also true because mm-hmm. the demon recognized Jesus, but Jesus certainly knew the demon. I, I highly doubt that yeah. that's the case. Um, I've seen over and over situations, whether you can call it spiritual warfare or otherwise, where um, I basically identified that this something demonic is happening. Something evil mm-hmm. 
I'll just put it even in a broader sense. Um, and sometimes people, other people don't see it, but most of the time other believers see it. But if I were to ask someone that's not a believer, they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's so foreign to them. And so I think it's, we have to be very careful um, though when we discern to say, okay, this person's always this way or always that way, or, or basically say this is where they're at spiritually mm. when we don't know the whole context mm. and we don't know that person well enough. And, mm-hmm. um, but I think it is definitely a precedent that we have the power mm-hmm. to discern what's in their spirit mm-hmm. and, and to see the fingerprints of God yeah. in their life. Mm-hmm. And if we don't see that, mm-hmm. you know, have that conversation too. If someone's like claiming Christ, but you don't see anything, yeah. um, then that's another conversation. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that that fit really well. I'm gonna kind of jump around, but that fit really well with your take it homes. Um, the one, uh, I mean, there's two that really hit on that. But the one is Jesus could have spoken judgment, but didn't, and neither should we. And I think that you challenged people um, to live like Jesus. Uh, on social media or when they encounter something that they don't agree with. And I think that is how we can live with the fingerprints of God is by allowing the Holy Spirit in us to respond to situations with the fruit of the Spirit that, um, that draw people back to Jesus. You know, it's, you know what's interesting is um, Dustin talked to me this week and referenced that very thought of, of how, you know, the call on the church is to forego any language of judgment but to really push forward language of love and mm-hmm. hope and invitation. And he said, and, and I'm not sure exactly how connected uh, this reality is to what I said, but he said that we've lost five or six viewers on our YouTube channel. We lost five or six subscribers. And I thought, I wonder if, if, if people didn't like the fact that, that we said, you know, when you come to the church, we don't have the opportunity or the right uh, to judge people um, that is outside the Mm. Uh, the prerogative of God to mm. do that himself. Wow. And I thought, I don't know if that's why, but I just wonder if, if mm. that's the reason that we had half a dozen unsubscribers <laughs> this week. Yeah. Well, and I think so, there's some truth to that because we all do want to look at other people and we don't mm. want to look in the mirror. Mm. You know, to quote Michael Jackson's song, you know, he's a man <laughs> in the mirror, right? You know, like, like, look at the man in the mirror. <laughs> I wasn't even from that generation, so I won't even try to sing it. That's why I want you laughing. To, I no. want you to sing no. it. I want you to do a little. No, that was not good. Yeah, it's like me coughing up a hairball. But the reality is, we don't want to look in the mirror, and so we are so easily to point the finger. And I really do believe what you just said is like we are not here for that. Wow, that's not the purpose of why we're here. In fact. If we believe in the Holy Spirit and the Trinity and how they're going to interact with us, we're going to believe that the Holy Spirit is going to bring conviction. Hmm. And sometimes we may say something that sounds judgmental or something, but it's not judgment in our hearts because Hmm. we're just telling them the truth of God's word, right? I mean, that's not judgmental. It's just, this is what I believe. Um, I find it interesting that Christians... And, and maybe this is just a different way to think about it. Think we have to protest certain things instead of show by our lives that we would never be a part of those things. Mm. And instead we come across as very anti other people. Mm. And the reality is we want to love and embrace them yeah. in everything that we do. Well, we were just talking about that in staff meeting about being against things versus being for things. Like you can be a, um, a lot of people see the church as against a lot of things, but how are we for people and how do we love people? Um, even if we don't agree with them, that's when the gospel then becomes the offense and we are not. Um, and I think that's really cool. 
John, you're really good at asking questions, <laughs> and I know you have He's questions. Got a lot, doesn't he? I've got so, I've got a few questions. Wow, I don't think we have enough. Yeah, that's that's. This like, is not all questions. John's this is notes. Good. John wrote notes. an unscripted book yeah, over there. I did. I so I think Eric. I think you made a really good point. You started out your first point, and I'm gonna I'm gonna almost go chronologically because I've got a few that yeah. are in the middle there. But you said your identity in Jesus is assaulted not because it's misunderstood, but it's mm-hmm. clearly understood. Okay, I like that, but maybe we need to unpack that a little bit yeah. more because as I look at church culture, I hear a lot of people say, other people don't understand us. Other people don't understand us. People don't get what we're about. So even going back to the yeah. what we're for, yeah. okay? How can we be people that are more about what we are for and less about what we're against? I feel like that's a transition. So like you mentioned, less subscribers. Well, yeah, maybe people want us to, you know, in our terms, make a stand. Well, what does it mean to make a stand for what we're for? That, that's a really good question. Let me, let me kind of unpack that a little bit more and see if I can be more clear on what I mean by that. I do have to admit that there is a percentage of our population uh, that loves to be critical, ju- critical just for the sake of being critical. And so these are called, I, I think I call these people, I didn't coin the term, uh, but social media pirates, right? <laughs> and this is what we experience even on our own YouTube channel. It's people who we've never met who's never been a part of Brookside, just feel the freedom to openly criticize what we're saying or what we're doing. But if we would have a face-to-face conversation with them, they would have no courage whatsoever to say anything like that. So the reality is there's a percentage of our population that is critical for the sake of criticality. However, I would say the majority of us, because we are are naturally inquisitive kind of people, we refrain from being critical of things until we fully understand them. If you don't fully understand something, Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a mature person, you do the research to understand it before you make an actual judgment call mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you watch um, whatever the side of the aisle that you you fall on, political debates, um, you, you never see people criticizing um, politicians or, or thought leaders in our community um, because they're trying to figure out what they actually mean. They assume they know what that person means. Mm-hmm. And so they take to the microphone to criticize them. And so I think, um, I think when it comes to our faith, it's not a surprise, it's not a secret that Christianity's basic tenet is Jesus died for your sins because we're stuck in our sin and we're mm-hmm. dead in our sin and he saved us from our sin. And that very foundational theology is inherently uh, insulting. Because what it means, if you don't think that you're a sinner, you just heard an entire religion call you a sinner. In other words, mm. you heard an entire religion tell you you're not good enough to go to heaven. So that's why people think we're people that are against them, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I mean, when it comes to that, it's not that they need to understand us more. No, that's the basic gospel. Now, they think it comes from a place of cruelty. In reality, it comes from a place of love and compassion. Yeah. Um, but they understand the basics of our, of our faith and theology. And because it, the gospel is offensive by nature, um, they understand it to be so. And therefore they are reacting, I think, in, in criticism. So and that so, could be wrong, but I think that's- So, so, so they, yeah. it's not that we're misunderstood then, like you're saying, it's just we're understood, but people don't want to receive that understanding. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's essentially, they're, re- they're not rejecting us 
yeah. individually. They're not rejecting the church. They're not rejecting believers. They're rejecting what they're hearing mm-hmm. and they're rejecting Jesus. Oh yeah, I mean, they're so. rejecting the God that we're aligning ourselves to. And I think you need to be specific about that because I don't know if, if I could expand that principle to everything that the world is critical of. For example, yeah. when there's infighting in churches, oh. I don't think that the world outside understands how that happens. I don't even understand how that happens. Right. It's like, if we're supposed to be unified under the banner of Jesus, why is there so much infighting? So if I were not part of the church, I would, I would be critical of that too. Yeah, um, oh, I agree. So I think we have to be careful and maybe perhaps so um, localize there, it. There's one part of that, and I want to get a little bit deeper. So David, I think you can answer this too. Oh okay, all right. So <laughs> No pressure. You said... Clearly, people know our identity in Jesus. You use the word clearly. And so what? unpack that a little bit. Like, how do people clearly know our identity in Jesus? Well, it, I don't think it takes much to identify <laughs> that. The, the moment you say no to a, uh, a behavior or an invitation that would be contradictory to your faith lifestyle, that's the moment they realize, okay, this person is at the very least religious, if not a devoted follower of Jesus. Mm. Um, Because I think that goes to the very same thing. The spirit inside you recognizes the spirits in other people. Um, So the moment I start to live out loud the faith of of Jesus in me, then that gets noticed. Mm. Um, And it it becomes a clear uh, countercurrent image of Mm. perhaps their lifestyle. And the, if, it could simply be as when you're meeting your new neighbors for the first time, they say, tell us about yourself. And you say, I go to church, uh, we're Christians. I mean, all of a sudden you just identi- identified yourself. I, I had a neighbor identify yeah. as a woman of God. That's what she told me right <laughs> when I met her. Yeah. I was like, oh, where do you go to church? Yeah. So we talked about it. But David, David, do you have some insights to add to that? I mean, uh, yeah, I think, I think that that's almost a challenge in and of itself. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. Like you say, clearly people understand the, our identity in Christ. Well, it's almost, it's like the rhetorical question of saying, well, do I clearly live in the identity of Christ? I think it's almost a challenge in that statement, which I think should be true, living under the fingerprint of God. Um, and, and all of our works and all of our life be lived out under his grace. Um, but I, I think, I guess I'm more processing introspective. And so when you say something like that, it's more so like clearly like, well, is that me? Yeah. And if it's not me, how do I, how do I begin to live that way? Well, let, me, let me qualify what I say, because you make a good point. I think, I think there are people who claim Christianity but what comes out of them is not necessarily Jesus. And, and so you can claim it. And I think that's where the confusion comes yeah. from is where people are like, okay, you say you're a Christian, but I don't see the right. fingerprints mm-hmm. of God coming out of you. Mm-hmm. But if we actually believe and trust the spirit's nature, if you are a follower of Jesus and your life is built on his foundation, yeah. then you don't have a choice except for the spirit to come out of you. Absolutely. And so that ha- that's where I think the clarity yeah, comes from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Well, so Eric, when you were talking about people don't, not doing things or doing certain things, I think it's, the, it's identity, it's not always actions, but I think actions tend to bleed into identity, especially when you're a young child. I remember when I was like nine or 10, my mom and dad said, if, so, if the neighbor boys start cussing, you can just walk away. And I was like, what? They're like, yeah. I mean, like, you don't want to be around that, right? That's why you're coming to us and like complaining about it. I'm like, well, I guess I can walk away. I was just kind of, and then my friends, I'm like, I don't want you to swear around me. Like at 10 years old, 
I probably was pretty naive about that because they were like, who are you or what, what's going yeah. on? Oh, you go to church. You invited me to church and all this stuff was going on. I think people start to realize that by our actions. And it's not always our words. In that case, it was our words bluntly saying something as a child. But um, I totally see my daughter doing that now. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if I'll give her that advice. But um, but I think, I think in some ways, we as Christians also not just need to be introspective about that, but also think like, how are we living that? Mm -hmm. Like, like you can think inward, like, right. Okay. Am I clear? Like, can people clearly see this? Mm -hmm. Well, not everybody, because we have different personalities and ways right. of looking at things, but, but am I living this mm -hmm. like in my heart rather than just my external, mm -hmm. you know, it's not about church attendance, right? It's not about like how much you do for God. Mm -hmm. It's more about being with God mm -hmm. consistently. So, um, there was there was one other thing you said, and I'm going to totally go into like some like prosperity gospel potentially okay. stuff right here. So, okay, a little scary. Eric's like, where did you get prosperity gospel from this? <laughs> so uh, another one of your points that I just, I really, really appreciated because I think it summarizes kind of essentially what we miss in our identity many times mm. is our identity in Jesus will be proven when you live to please him. So it's not that the works save us, right? Right. But it's like what happens afterwards as a result of love. Like mm. I've talked to people that have had arranged marriages, okay? So to give that scenario is someone in an arranged marriage, they're just married because a parent set them up, right? Mm -hmm. And they grow to love each other mm -hmm. and they act differently towards each other. And surprisingly so, I, I read recently that in certain countries with arranged marriages, there's actually more or lower rate of divorce, okay? Mm -hmm. I thought that was like weird, but then I realized they're going into it with a different mentality. They're saying, I love this person, so I'm going to do these things, and this is what my action is going to follow. And that's really how we should follow Christ. Um, that said, I've heard a verse that's misquoted many times, so I'm going to read it to you guys. And I think it relates to this, this idea of pleasing God. Um, Psalm 37.4, I've heard so many times, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. <laughs> and some people read that and go, well... Where's my million dollar house? Where's my nice car? Where's my truck? Where's my lake house? Um, so I want to ask this question. If we're focused on pleasing God, can, can our desires more closely align with our identity found in Jesus? And what does that even look like? That's a, that's a great question. I remember struggling with that very verse mm -hmm. and thinking, okay, then when, am I, well, when I was a kid and I first read that verse, I thought, all right, where's my four-wheeler? Or where's my dirt bike, you know? <laughs> right. yeah. um, I couldn't wait for that to show up. And if I didn't get it, apparently I'm not delighting in him enough. I think, I think the answer to what it means to, uh, to get the desires of your heart is, in fact, in the very verse itself. When you delight in the Lord, you'll get the desires of your heart. Mm -hmm. And the desire of your heart, when you delight in the Lord, is the Lord himself. Yeah. Um, and so that's what Isaiah says. He, he says, you are my very great reward. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, I mean, this is, there's another passage of the New Testament that's almost the exact same thing. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will know what God's good, yeah. pleasing, and perfect will is. And to that very end, I'm thinking, okay, whenever I am transformed, then I'm going to know what my career is supposed to be. Then I'm going to know what kind of house I'm going to live and how much money is going to be in my bank. But that verse, as well as the Psalm 37 verse, is never meant to be a predictive kind of verse mm -hmm. where you know what you want and get what you want. Mm -hmm. It's more supposed to be when my mind is transformed, then that will in fact be God's good, 
um, pleasing and perfect will for my life, that my mind is transformed. Mm. And then once I go from there, whatever God gives me, I'll be satisfied with. So, so you're saying it's not material possessions? I don't think it has anything to do with material possessions. <laughs> okay, just, just throwing that out there. One, David, what do you, one, of, what do you one of my favorite quotes, and I don't know who says it, so don't ask me, but you could probably Google it, it'll come up, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and do as you please. And that like shook me, but it's that same idea of if I truly love the Lord, then what I please is him and, and loving him, being with him and sitting with him. And so it's this like cycle of uh, continual um, just satisfaction in his presence. Um, and I think that's what that is saying. Like what you said is just that delight yourself in the Lord yeah, and then he'll give you the desires because your desires are the Lord. And it's just this right. constant. That's right. Well, and that's where you find your identity. You know, you're talking right. about the fingerprints of God. I feel like that's where it's at. Um, but I think in our culture, it's hard to slow down and actually do that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about any of you guys, but have you ever struggled with racing thoughts? Come on, mm -hmm. like where you're like, oh, I got these four other things to do. Okay, I'm gonna forget it if I, and something pops out of your thought process and then you forget about it. Yep. And then your wife calls you and says, hey, do you know you're supposed to be here? <laughs> <laughs> That's happened before oh, to me. Man. So, or, or yeah. what, softball games, baseball games. So how do we hit pause? And when do we know to hit pause in our desires mm. with the Lord? But that, that's a good question. My, my response, my initial response is, if I can envision never getting what my desire is, would that negatively affect my love for God himself? Mm. Because if that's the case, then, I'm, then I see my relationship with God as simply a, a vending machine to really get what I want. And if that's the case, then my identity is not in him and he is not my great reward. Mm. My great reward and my identity is in the things I'm hoping he gets me that I can't get for myself. Mm. Um, and I think that's, if you can answer it that way, then that's a great time to pause and say, okay, I've got my, um, I've got my North star pointer in the wrong direction. Hmm. That's deep, man. That's really okay. good. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. David, you got any thing uh, to add? No, I didn't. I didn't really. I was thinking of, and I don't know if this is relevant or not, but I'm going to, I'm going to look, um, I was thinking about this. Um, it was something that Eric said. Um, but this idea of like where you, um, well, I'll just read, read this. So Psalm 86, he's talking about um, David's praying and he says, you know, answer me. I'm poor. I'm needy. Preserve my life. I'm, I'm, for I'm godly. Save me. Um, all these things. And then he says, gladden the soul of your servant. And when you were talking about that, um, that satisfaction in his, um, in his presence, in his, um, uh, my mind is drawn a blank, but that, that idea of just that David experienced a lot of stuff in his life and he was in a place of, uh, he shouldn't be glad. He shouldn't be, uh, pleased, but in the midst of all those things going wrong, he's saying, I'm asking you to help me find my pleasure in you. And I think that's a huge thing for us as Christians is to, to be able to be in seasons of life where, we're, where we can literally say like, be gracious to me, O Lord, gladden my heart. Um, help me to find pleasure in you. Um, and I think, I mean, Psalm 86 is amazing. It's one of my favorite Psalms, but 
That's yeah. what that's what came to mind. As you were saying that, it just made me think of two things. A couple weeks ago, Eric and I were on a retreat, and one of the things I thought about then was, where is my space to find God? You know, like mm-hmm. there was a, a popular, what was it, War Room? The, the yep. movie that yep. was popular a while back where... You know, there's this space where she went to pray and it was so intense. And where's this prayer room space, the war room? And as I was thinking about that, I thought about like, where is that space that you find your desires set on him? Mm. It's not going to be when things are chaotic. It's not going to be when you walk into chaos at work. It's not going to be when you walk into chaos at home. It's going to be those moments that you set aside specifically for the Mm. purpose of being with him. And so I think that's something that definitely could be a, a shift in our culture. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you can plan for those though. You can't always plan for those. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes those come out of emergency, right? Yeah, I think God allows a crisis in your life and it recalibrates you. I mean, Jonah is a great example. The apostle Paul is a great example. Mm-hmm. Peter's a great example. Well, yeah, and, and yeah. so I say that to say, I was just, the, the other day we were doing an exercise in staff meeting. And so I thought of the verse when you brought up Psalms, I was like, oh, <laughs> I was thinking about it is, Psalm 61, there's a point in verse two where it says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you've been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. And I think like, if we're gonna delight ourselves in the Lord, Hmm. we have to realize that there's a rock higher than us. Mm -hmm. There's something greater than us. And our world, when it seems crashing down, he's still Mm -hmm. there, he's present and he loves us and cares for us and he's good. And you just kind of go through all those things. And then what's interesting he says at the end of verse, uh, verse eight of Psalm 61, he says, so I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. And there was an obedience there. And so I think in some ways, the desires of our heart aligning with God is just continual obedience, you know, like having those moments. I do think it comes in crisis because I've said this before, I think on here even, that my deepest, most crisis moments are the moments I grow the most. And so I know that's the case, but I also know in those other moments, you know, I struggle to say, I need to be obedient in this moment too. So what does that look like? And so it's gonna look different. Yeah. Like we can't prescribe something that, oh, there's this magical way to delight <laughs> yourself in the Lord. Yeah. I mean, I think there's ways, mm-hmm. plural. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think this is really where it ties into um, the John chapter eight passage that I preached on this weekend is because if you notice, uh, no matter how they attacked and assaulted Jesus' identity mm. with the father, Jesus didn't move. I mean, he wasn't affected in any way by it. In fact, he, he responded immediately with, with this is who I am and I know the father and he knows me. Mm. And I think when, when you and I have a lifestyle practice of delighting in the Lord, then we become as confident in our identity in, in God as Jesus himself was. Mm. So whenever we feel like the assault on our identity, then instead of being swayed back and forth, like, mm. you know, reeds in the wind, uh, we can stand firm on, on our identity. Mm. And that just doesn't happen overnight. You can't just mm. wish that that happens. It's, it's a regular practice of delighting in him. And then when God allows these crises moments to show up in your life, to recalibrate your heart for perhaps going off course, um, then you allow the Holy Spirit to use that to bring your heart and mind back on Jesus, Mm. to fix your eyes on him. Mm. And then your identity becomes even more firm. I find it interesting uh, that uh, Jesus says, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying those things, many people believed. And so it's almost like as we live in this, this cycle of 
doing what is pleasing to the Lord, living under his fingerprint, people will believe just because we are so set in our identity, not, not because of what we say or do or anything. It's just who we are that could actually make people believe in Jesus. Like that's a powerful thing. Yeah. I don't think people are impressed with our words. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're impressed with our church habits. I think they're impressed with the confidence that we, that we show in our relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what draws people to him. Well, and even even seeing how people are served. If yeah. you come, my, my dad was saved by a couple that just was faithful to invite him over. Yeah. And he saw how their family interacted and goes, I want that. Yeah. I don't know what I have. It's not that. And that, what I have is like messed up and I'm really struggling and I'm broken. And, and he saw that and he goes, there's something different here. And I think that is the, um, it's almost the humble pride, the pride in Christ, like yeah. the fact, the confidence in Christ that we can have. Mm-hmm. Um, one of your, one of your take homes that David, this is not the one that you brought up earlier, but I thought it was so interesting when you said, instead of fearing, hmm. celebrate that in Jesus, you are different. Okay. I took that like five different ways. Okay. <laughs> My brain was like, I heard that and I thought, what is he saying? And then you explained it a little bit. And then I was like, Oh, but what about this? And mm. so it seems many times in our culture, we only celebrate similarities, to use a really technical term like homogeneity, mm. everyone that looks like us, acts like us, thinks like us, those are the mm. people that we celebrate. We don't celebrate differences. So how can we practically celebrate differences? Okay, that's one question. <laughs> the second part of that is, as Christians, as we celebrate differences, how do we not have the spirit that you're describing, that judgmental spirit, and mm. saying, I'm celebrating my differences because I have freedom in Christ, and I, I'm you know, saved and you're not. And you know, you see what I'm saying? How do we, how do we celebrate differences without sounding arrogant? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Cause there's no room for, for a celebration biblically and arrogance at the same time. So exactly. The, the, I think, I think as just as much as we were made in the image of God, right. And our hearts are being made into the image of Jesus. The culture that we're around uh, controlled by what the Bible calls the prince of the power of the air mm. is also trying to create us in the image of the culture. Mm. And I think the first step that the culture does to begin that process is by making us fearful of the culture because mm. of our faith and in a sense, embarrassing us. And so it's, it's, if you're a Christian, then you really don't belong here. And because we're a people that love to belong, well, if I want to belong to the culture, I, I should probably hide my identity in Jesus. Mm. And I think that's probably the beginning of the process to, um, to help us or to force us to become uh, built in the image of the culture. Um, I can't remember what your first question So the, the, yeah. uh, how do we practically celebrate differences though? You know what I'm saying? Like what yeah. you just said yeah. makes sense, but like some of us are going to say, <laughs> well, I'm going to start celebrating differences by calling people out for being sinners. And I'm a saint. That's what the Bible tells me. I mean, I'm just... I, I'm being facetious. I'm making well, this up, but like... What, what comes to mind is like, I, th- I think we need to celebrate the differences in others. Like it, it almost, because what happens is if, you know, if we start celebrating that I'm different, I'm, I'm special, I'm all these things, that arrogance, that pride can swell up. And I think practically, um, one of the ways that we can celebrate this in and put fear to the wayside is if I say, John, you are so unique in the way that God has given you whatever. Like I'm celebrating that with, like, I, I don't like that, you know, we're different because, you know, you may get on my nerves or you may, you know what I mean? But it's that, like, I see this in you that God has gifted you or, or has made you different this way. Um, don't be afraid to live in that. So, so do we live in a world that lacks encouragement? 
Because I, when I hear that, like when I, when I um, left the church I was at, one of the things I did very intentionally is I wrote letters to people mm. and then I actually sat down and had a meal with mm. them and had them open the letter with me there to, so I could further explain it if they had questions. And I phrased the letter and Eric, you probably remember this. This was a retreat we were at like I think mm. a year ago or something at this point, six months maybe or a year. And I wrote the letter and I said, I see this God doing this in you. I see this mm. God using this. I see God using this. And I found that that was the most profound exercise to like impactfully understand mm. my life. So like imagine we did that with just our immediate family mm. and we wrote that down because we think it. I mean, mm. I, we all think it. We hope that... I mean, at least I hope that most Christians are at least vocal or at least they express mm. that that appreciation. But but writing out, like, I see how much you care mm. about people hearing the gospel or I see how much you care about this or I see mm. how God has given you a gift to speak to people in this way or I see how God's given you a gift to, be, to appreciate this type of person or whatever it might be. It's, it's deeper than spiritual gifts, but it is an appreciation and I feel like many times we're taught when it goes back to Prince of the Power of the Air, our culture says differences are bad, the other side is wrong, and you're good and right mm -hmm. and whatever. I mean, you see that in our culture. The problem is how much has the church adopted that yeah. in our exclusion? Like if someone walks in the door, are we prejudging them just based on how they look mm -hmm. or what they say, yep. or maybe they say something wrong in church? I mean, have you ever had a conversation and at the end as a pastor, you're like, wow, that person cussed a lot. I mean, that's, that's happened to me, but I'm not sitting there judging them. I'm just like, that's where they're at right now. I mean, I don't know. But as Christians, we're like, no, we can't be a part of this or we can't be a part of that. I, I feel like the, the culture of encouragement is something that we need to facilitate as a church. Jesus here said, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. He's talking about God. If we're always doing the things that are pleasing to God, we're gonna be doing what David described. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is, is some of the things that Jesus did because the father told him to do it was highly offensive to the people that were not a right. part of God's family. So when I say celebrate the difference, you know, in the, in, the, in the Christian world, differences can probably be defined as the unique way God has designed us or gifted us right. or purposed us. Mm -hmm. And so I can't say, hey, because you're not called to be a pastor, you're not as good of a Christian as I am, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, nothing like that. And so those things, the differences that God creates within his family are very much meant to be celebrated. But the difference between a follower of Jesus and those who are not, mm -hmm. there's some parts of that that I would say should not be celebrated. Like when a certain sin is breaking a family apart, that we should not celebrate that difference. We need to be broken harder for that difference. Mm -hmm. And when, when somebody who, because they've chosen to reject Jesus as savior are going to be in hell, we, we should not celebrate that difference. That should break our hearts and we should have incredible compassion for that person. Um, so celebration, I think, is a result of being proud of your identity in Jesus. Mm. Even, if, even if, I mean, from a foundational level, the fact that you are now hidden in him, right? Yeah. But from a more like visible kind of level, it's, it's more of like he's called me and gifted me this way. He's called you and gifted you differently. And we can celebrate that as followers of Jesus. Mm but definitely not celebrating, celebrating the things that are, are causing the rest of the world to spiritually die. Mm. Um, yeah, I, we're not celebrating no, evil no and sin. Right. No, mm -hmm. yeah. And, I, and I, I get that. I think that um, it's a struggle as a Christian to what do we celebrate? How do we celebrate? Mm -hmm. You know, I had someone once tell me like, 
I'm never going to tell people ever how much I give, which I'm like, that's, that's fine. Mm. You know, I don't tell people how much I give to the church, right? But they were like, we should not, no one ever should communicate about what they give. And I was like, well, that's kind of complicated. I mean, there's got to be a certain accountant somewhere that knows something, right? <laughs> but, but the point they were making is when Jesus says like, well, no one except your father in heaven needs to know that. Well, that's great. Mm. But in some reality, like we also need to celebrate the gifts within our church. So that principle when it comes to mm. financial giving has been applied to everything in the church sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to share the fact that so-and-so just was super generous or so-and-so went over to someone's house and built a wheelchair ramp or did this, but we should be celebrating those things because people have those gifts, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and we just don't talk about it. Um, I, I have, I have one more thought because your last statement, I think is something that I have, I've heard more often than not that someone's offended by something in the church. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to take some time to process whether that offense is real, like like justifiable, mm-hmm. or it's something that they're offended by what Jesus said. So mm-hmm. the, the phrase that you said was, your identity is offensive. Make sure the offense is the gospel, not you. So how do we figure out if someone comes to us offended by something, mm-hmm. if it's us or it's the gospel? I know that's not a really a cut and dry, but because people can, people can do a lot of things. There's gaslighting. There's all kinds of things that people can yeah. make you feel a certain way. Like you said something or did something. Mm. I, th- I but, think that's a lot case by case and tone uh, can tell you those things. If, if somebody comes at you and said, you said that I'm a sinner. Well, that, that is true. Like that's gospel. Right, but if you said you are a sinner, is that yeah, well? Different? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I that wouldn't and, happen. And that, and, but I mean, that's where I'm saying that that whole like relational aspect that that's where you'll be able to to tell. I think because there's times when I've had conversations and I'll say something, and then I leave thinking, man, that came off really strong, mm-hmm. or that that wasn't how I intended it, yeah. and so I need to go back to them. And say, hey, like, I said it in this tone, but I didn't mean it how it came across, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think your heart will be revealed as you begin to analyze these things. Like, if somebody does have an offense against you specifically. Now, if it's somebody that says, this church over here offended me because of X, Y, and Z, that takes a lot of discernment and, and understanding story. But I think if we're looking at this from our perspective... Like if I if my if my identity is offensive, make sure it's the gospel, not me. Like that's very self-reflective. And how can I? Um, yeah, you. I think you'll just know. So when when I preach, I have to be careful of this um, because I think preachers have a unique ability to offend people when they think they're actually trying to be funny or something else. Um, so if it, I have done this too many times, where I have made a point, but I've said it in a way that was accusatory or direct um, or actually just straight up offensive. And I didn't need to say it that way. And so there've been people who have emailed me, called me, even left the church because I had said something inappropriate. There's a difference between preaching the gospel that by itself communicates um, you need salvation, which if you don't feel you need salvation, that in itself is offensive, but that's Mm -hmm. the gospel of preaching. But when I say that, I'm not going to glare at them in their face, put my finger in their face and say, you're going to hell because you're such an evil person. That's offensive. And that's from me. 
Yeah. Uh, but when I say um, God loves you so much um, and he died for your sins and the reality is every one of us is sinful and every one of us need a savior. I'm not any better than you in any right. way. Um, and, and because of that, I want to extend Jesus to you because I found the life raft mm. and I've, I've grabbed the hold of Jesus and I know I'm saved because of him. And I want to extend you the same opportunity. So, so there's so. almost an element of humility involved there to recognize, uh, when we are having these conversations, like I'm a sinner, yeah. you're a oh, sinner. Yeah. I'm because I know Jesus doesn't mean I'm, I, I don't sin. Mm-hmm. Like we all struggle with these things mm-hmm. and having that understanding, yeah. I yeah. think, goes a long way to making sure that we're not the offense. We're also fellow strugglers in what they're struggling with. Exactly. Like, I find that that's the most profound impact you can have mm-hmm. is actually the things that you struggled with. Yeah. Going back to the same people that had those same struggles or mm-hmm. is having those same struggles now. Yeah. Uh, so a couple things I think of when I think of this, and I did ask the question like thinking about this, but I found that both of you added to think thoughts I already had. So now I'm like in thought land. <laughs> we were reading your mind. For you. I know more <laughs> cul-de-sacs. But I, when you guys say that, I think there's a few things that I think of is one, um, are, is, is the offense that we're gatekeepers. Should we ever see ourselves as gatekeepers? And I don't think that's true. <laughs> But like the idea that, okay, we're the ones that ha- people are going to hear the gospel from us mm-hmm. and this and that. And I think God's made it very clear. He's going to find every avenue possible. If you read the Bible, there was a talking donkey. I mean, like there's all <laughs> kinds of things that happen. Yeah. Um, and so when, when someone comes that is not from our um, people group, let's say, I've heard two examples in the past two months of people walking into church, not Brookside, thankfully, walking to church, the greeter says something to them that's offensive and they just left. Mm. Um, my wife visited a church a few years ago, walks in and someone said something offensive. And if she wasn't a strong believer, she would have just left. You know, obviously we go to church, right? So, so we're like, okay, we'll overlook that. But what they said was offensive. And so I think, mm. I think we as Christians need to evaluate if what we're saying is for the purposes of drawing someone in to belonging with Jesus or not. So Eric, you said something I think was profound and pretty humble is to say, sometimes I've said things that are offensive and I mm-hmm. kind of figured it out pretty quick, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's it's not always what we're saying, but it's how we're saying it. And I think Jesus, when you go back to the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. So what's at the end of that? There's some self-control. Sometimes we don't have a filter. I'm the one not to have a filter, but sometimes we don't have a filter. And when we don't have that filter, we don't realize that we're saying something that is offensive, not because of the gospel, but because we're having a thought, a preference thought, a a thought that's maybe judgmental, a thought that we need to not suppress, but Mm. basically not open our mouths. Right. And it's a lot harder to, once you open your mouth, to fix the mess that you just made. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, that, that's why the Bible says that the tongue is the most dangerous weapon you've got. I mean, with it, you can build somebody up or you can set an entire forest ablaze with your words mm. and you can just destroy things. Mm. And so if you asked if we should be a gatekeeper, I think the tendency in some churches perhaps, uh, hopefully not Brookside, is that we feel like we need to be a gatekeeper on who can be here or even enter heaven yeah. for that matter. We've never been given that authority, but we have been given the authority to be a gatekeeper over our words. Mm. And so having the filter to make sure that whatever we say, we say it in love. Mm. And whatever we say, it's for building mm. people up. So 
Um, that, that's an interesting that's, question about, you know, it's just a reverse idea of what we think we're gatekeeping. Well, that's, and, and that's what I mean is like, you know, every single one of us at Brookside mm-hmm. is a greeter. Yeah. We don't see it that way. Sometimes we come in on a Sunday and we're talking to the people we want to talk to our families here or whatever. But when we look around and there's people like clearly out of place, we are all greeters. Mm. That's what pleases God is seeing opportunity to interact with others. Fellowship is a spiritual gift. I heard that this week. I was like, I don't know about that, but you know, (laughs) fellowship is a spiritual gift in that we're able there to encourage others and bring people closer Mm. to Christ. What does it look like to interact in a healthy relationship with others. Mm. And that's really important. Yeah. Yeah, good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a good place to end. Sure. Um, I'll lead, I'll I'll leave us with a challenge, but it's your challenge, so I can't take credit for it. (laughs) Um, But this this is what Eric said on Sunday. Evaluate the decisions you make so that your decisions end up honoring Jesus and furthering, further confirming your identity in Jesus. And, um, I would just invite you uh, to, if you like this conversation, you missed Sunday, go back and watch the sermon um, and then tune in this week, uh, Sunday at 9.30 online. Uh, and you can always watch those after the fact as well. Um, we thank you for joining us for this conversation and uh, allowing us to, to um, just have an open dialogue about what God's doing here at Brookside. Again, we invite you to subscribe to the channel, like this video, share it with a friend, uh, and we'll see you uh, next week.